Hello, this is Anthony with Viking Fuel, recording out of San Diego. Normally I would say it's sunny, but uh, today, on one of the rare days, it decided to rain on us here. Uh, today I'm going to be interviewing Tracy with uh, Black Fairy Meadery. Tracy, would you like to say hi to everyone and introduce yourself really quick, please? Hello, everybody out there. Uh, this is Tracy Kufis, one of the owners and the brewer with Blackberry Meadery in West Columbia, Texas, down on the Gulf Coast. How are you doing, Anthony? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm fine. So, um, one of the first questions I like to ask everybody when I bring them onto the show is, uh, how did you get into making mead? What was uh, your reason for starting this journey? It's kind of a, kind of a funny little journey. Um, uh, once upon a time, I was newly divorced, and my friends were all getting married and having babies, and I found myself alone on the weekend doing nothing, and the friends were like, hey, Trace, what do you want for Christmas? And kiddingly, I said, I don't know, give me a beer brewing kit. Well, they did it. <laughs> So actually that first New Year's Eve, I made my first beer, and it was really good, and made some more, and then I found a homebrew club, I went and joined that, and was opened up to a whole bunch of other stuff, including mead, and once I tasted the mead, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to learn how to make this. So we had a lot of really good mead makers in my homebrew club when I was still in Arizona with Brewmeisters Anonymous, and uh, once I kind of... Not really mastered it at that point, but uh, got good enough to start entering competitions, and I started winning medals with the mead along with the beer, and it just kind of exploded from there. Um, there's just no end to the creativity. You can do pretty much anything you want with it. Uh, have you entered the Mazer by any chance? I attempted to enter the Mazer this year before going pro, and uh, as you know, the uh, homebrew ones uh, fill up pretty fast, so I missed my opportunity as a homebrewer to enter Mazer Cup. But we are planning on entering um, stuff for next year in the pro division. Okay. Uh, I was just curious about that because uh, I feel like that's definitely a great chance to uh, expand your network opportunities there a lot more. I'm actually uh, looking at going to MeadCon myself just so I can learn a little bit more. Um, Absolutely. So um, out of all the meads that you've made so far, which one would you say is probably your favorite? I know this is a tough question, especially because you're kind of your worst critic, but I always like to ask to see what the answer is going to be. Yeah, you're always your worst critic. Um, typically, I do like a lot of little tiny test batches and stuff, and, and sometimes I'm like floored by what I come up with, and sometimes it's like, yeah, I kind of knew that didn't, wasn't going to work, but I'm going to try it anyway. But right now, my, my favorite is my seasonal. <clears throat> we just came out with, uh, we just released it about a week and a half ago. It's called, we named it Yuletide. So it's kind of a take on waffles. But we got apple juice, pear juice, and all kinds of mulling spices, ginger, vanilla, honey, obviously. And it's, it's like Christmas in a class. And it's just, I'm like, I'm amazed by the flavors that I was able to coax out of all of those spices. Mm -hmm. So currently, right now, that is my favorite, being the season that it is and whatnot, too. And, and luckily, my customers are thinking the same way. They're, they're buying me out. Uh, we just got a big shipment of bottles, and so we'll be bottling up the rest of the batch that we made um, this weekend. And after that, it's on until next year. We'll be making more of it next year. But right now, it's definitely the Yuletide. It's very, very seasonal, very holiday-ish. Um, that sounds uh, like it's definitely a really interesting uh, methaglin-type mead. Um, I'm just kind of curious, since you brought that up, uh, what kind of yeast did you use for that? Because uh, I know uh, I recently did a uh, chai mead, and I used a cider yeast for it, and it actually came out really well. I actually used a D47 on this one. Um, 
my initial test batch, I used the D47 and did a side-by-side -side comparison with like a champagne-style yeast, and definitely the D47 brought out more of the fruitiness of the apple and the pear juice. So it came out a really, really nice and smooth, um, no funky off, you know, senses to it or anything. It's really nice and crisp. And it still has a, kind of a little bit of white wine character, but it's definitely a sweet one, but it actually has a little bit of a dry finish from the ginger. Hmm. Okay, yeah, that definitely does sound interesting. I'll have to see if I can get myself a bottle. And uh, speak... Absolutely, I'll set one aside for you. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, uh, even though you guys are a new meadery, I understand you're already shipping. Uh, can people uh, purchase your items online? Absolutely. If you go to www.blackberrymeadery.com, there's a big giant purple buy now button, and that'll take you to our Vino Shipper store. Um, not all of our flavors are up on the website right now. Uh, Facebook, unfortunately, gets uh, <clears throat> most of the attention as far as like you know updating everything. But I will be updating the website this weekend with our flavors that are available. Um, currently, we have like anywhere from like twelve to fifteen um, varieties available for purchase on our website, including the black currant with cacao, which has got the nice chocolate tones to it, more of a desserty sweet one. The lime is up there which is kind of a liquid key lime pie is the way we describe it to people, <clears throat> along with some other fun ones as well. But we can currently ship to 39 different states. Um, if you see something that you like, definitely give us a try. I think I think we'll, we'll surprise you and hopefully find some new fans. Okay, and um, is there anything that you have in the tasting room that uh, people can try only at the tasting room that they won't see shipped out? Yes, the root beer right now, uh, root beer mead is not going to be shipped out. That was kind of a test batch. Um, it looks like people are really kind of gravitating towards it, so that might end up being one of the one rail batches that we do. Um, also, the kiwi strawberries one that we have just on tap here as well. Um, another one that is coming out very soon is, we're calling it Mir. I mean, not real super creative on the name, but it's, it's a beer-like mead. I treated it just like if I was going to be brewing a beer with the bittering hops and aromatic hops, just doing the water by itself and then not heating the honey at all and then adding that with the London Ale yeast. Um, so far, it's tasting almost exactly like a pale ale, hmm. and the folks that have tried it, they're like, man, this is going to be a beer killer. Because I get a lot of people that walk in here, you know, with, with the boyfriend or the girlfriend, and they're like, oh, well, I don't like wine, I like beer. So trying to come up with something to satisfy the beer drinkers in our little area, um, I think we've, we're going to hit a home run with this one. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this one. Um, we're not quite set up to bottle carbonated beverages just yet so hopefully we can get that remedied by the time that this one hits because if it takes off then we'll definitely be bottling that one for shipment as well okay and um i'm just curious uh are you guys doing uh just uh wine for your license or do you have wine and beer we only have wine so we can't have like you know grain in the winery obviously so right basically what i made is a kind of gluten-free beer if you will but no grain <laughs> right, so you can't currently do braggots or anything like that at the moment either, huh? No, we, we would have to do a collaboration with a brewery. Um, we have some fun things scheduled with, um, with they're, they're called Saloon Door up in Webster, Texas here. We're actually planning on doing a braggot pairing dinner. So we're going to take some of our meads and some of their beers and we're going to blend them to make a braggot for this pairing dinner. And then we're going to have a chef uh, put together like a three, four course dinner to pair with the braggots that we've come up with. And then there'd also be the option to like purchase just a glass of meat or just a glass of beer. 
if you, the bracket didn't hit you, you know, on the right talent notes. So we, we could do stuff like that, and we're, we're looking um, forward to doing, like, if the collaboration on this little pairing dinner works out, I think it would be super awesome if we can get together and, like, you know, market some of the braggots that we've come up with. Yeah, I know, um, personally, I've... Uh... I've had a little bit of experience tasting braggots. They are a little bit hard to find because of the licensing issues where you have to have both licenses to make them. And uh, I actually made one myself, which was a coffee stout braggot, and I actually really loved it. So if you guys do have a chance to get into that market, I think it would be great for you. I think so, too. It's just a matter of like you know, making sure we have like a brewery that we can partner up with that is willing to you know, dedicate part of... you know a batch, basically, to, to making the braggot. Right. Um, do you have any other collaborations uh, going on anytime soon, just out of curiosity? Um, not any real collaborations going on, um, as far as, like, you know, mixing up, you know, with the beers and the meats and whatnot, but we do have, um, like, events and stuff like that in some of the local, like, wine shops and whatnot down here on the Gulf. Um, we have, like, different wine tastings that will go up to the other different clubs and, and, and pubs and stuff like that in the area. Tonight, my partners are heading out to Shady's in Angleton, Texas for a tasting of the Yuletide and to introduce, you know, a different part of the area to Black Ferry Meadery and let them know that there is more, you know, on the market than just, you know, wine and beer out here. So hopefully we, we get some new fans with that as well. Um, it definitely sounds like you are doing everything you guys need to do networking-wise to help spread yourself out, which uh, that's definitely good there. Um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I missed uh, one of my questions earlier. So, um, sure. excluding your own mead, which would you say is probably the best mead that you've tasted so far? I know this is also a little bit of a hard question to answer, but... I, again, it's because I love hearing what people say about other meads that I ask this question. Right, right. I, unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot of commercial mead availability, especially where I'm living now. Um, once, when, when I used to live in Arizona, obviously, you know, Superstition Meadery is out there. Um, their, their berry white collection is, is just fantastic. I mean, that was like one of the most amazing stuff that I've ever tasted. Um, honestly, the very, very best mead I, I've ever tasted uh, was from a friend of mine that made it through the homebrew club. Um, it was a rose petal mead made with fireweed honey and rose petals, and it was just amazing. It was like love in a glass. It was just slightly petalant, slightly sweet. You could still get the hint of rose in there without it being overpowered like a soap. It was just the most amazing mead I'd ever tasted, and that's been a quest of mine to someday be able to make it like he made it, but, you know, everybody has their little secrets on their, like, their, their recipes that they're kind of known for, too. But, yeah, the, the rose petal mead with the Alaskan fireweed honey was by far, in a way, like, what impressed me most in a mead ever. Right, and uh, with you going to everyone having their own little secrets, uh, when I interviewed Billy, he kind of brought something up that I'm finding is more and more true the more I talk to people, that you could do the same recipe as somebody else, and just because of the way that you do it, it'll end up tasting ten times different. Just That's exactly it. It can be anything as simple as, like, you know, one degree difference in your house if you're fermenting at house temperature. Um, you know, if it's the music you play, <laughs> you know, it's like maybe, you know, if you talk to yourself, if you don't talk to yourself, if you talk to the meat, it's, it's very bizarre. But, yeah, I've had people, I've given them, like, some of my homebrew recipes. They're like, it's just not coming out like yours. It doesn't, it's not working, and I've walked them through it in the same there's just something about the environment that it just doesn't work the same. Right. 
So, um, with you guys being a new metery, uh, I'm sure you guys ran into a lot of difficulty along the way with getting set up, uh, with licensing and things like that. Would you mind talking a little bit about some of the obstacles that you've ran into? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, we had the obviously normal things, you know, we couldn't get, you know, our license to produce until we actually had a physical address. So, you know, one of the hard parts was finding a building to rent in our itty little town here. Um, but... The city council and the city here at West Columbia has just been amazingly behind us. Um, they helped us find our building. Um, they helped us, you know, get through some of the red tape with the county. Because uh, formerly, not even like 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago, this was a formerly dry area. You couldn't even buy wine at the supermarket. You could get beer, but if you needed wine or you needed like hard liquor or anything like that, you had to go out of the county to go purchase things like that. So... We're also like breaking down walls too, and as far as like doing something new here, um, so the biggest difficulty was like just dealing with the county because of the formerly dry status that we had here. But like I said, having the city behind us was a huge, huge help. We would have never been able to do it without their support. Right. And, and um, our, our other little thing here is like, um, you now like most states, that you, every state has like their own like alcohol bureau, and we have the TABC here. And some of those, their roadblocks are a little bit different than, like, the federal ones. The federal was much easier to get through than some of the TABC stuff. But, yeah, you just you got to get in good with, like, one of your representatives to kind of, like, you know, figure that stuff out. A lot of it was just miscommunication. Um, like, we were wanting to self-distribute, which we are, but we weren't allowed to do that because we weren't told we needed to get a cartridge license to start with. So having to backtrack through some of the paperwork like that was the biggest obstacle because you're – you'd make so many steps forward and then you're ready to go to the next step. And it's like, Oh, well you need this piece of paper. Now it's like, well, you didn't tell us that. And then you got to wait, you know, X amount of weeks or a month or two to get that next piece of paper. So you can make that next progress. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And, uh, you mentioned tearing down walls in a sense. And, uh, I, Honestly, was thinking uh, you probably had to do that literally as well with getting the building up to code to uh, be able oh, to yes. use. Yeah, we're in a very, very, very old law office, ironically. Um, so when we first came in here, there was nothing but like law books like from like the 90s that were dust ridden. And we ended up throwing a dumpster load of stuff out of the building before we could even like, you know, start tearing down bookcases and stuff. So... There was a lot of like physical tearing down and demolition and tearing up carpets and tearing up old adhesive and <laughs> basically knocking, you know, things out of the walls, uh, putting in new electrical, <clears throat> plumbing, obviously, you know, turning somebody's, you know, former law office into a brew room. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you got plumbers out there that are tearing up your walls and your floor and you're moving sinks around and hot water heaters and you know, and then just, you know, even just having the tap room here, too, you know, we had to get a new bathroom that's ADA compliant. We couldn't use the existing bathrooms in the back. So we ended up building a new bathroom. So to be compliant with that, um, temperature control, uh, luckily we have a small space that we can do that with just our AC unit right now. But as we grow, we're obviously going to have to build some cold rooms in the back. Mm -hmm. So just a lot of, like, pre-planning and, and stuff like that. And just little things that keep coming up. And now when you're growing okay, how do you step up from a one-barrel to a two-barrel to a three-barrel, and you have a ceiling limit, you know, you can only go so high, so then you have to start looking at, okay, climate control in the back of the building where it's warehouse, and figuring out that little 
roadblock as well. So it's just kind of baby steps, one step at a time. Mm-hmm. We're trying to like you know figure out which which direction to like move into next as far as increasing our capacity. Um, but we'll get there. The, the plan is we'll we'll have like the larger tanks in the back, and then we'll still have our original brew room for more for R and D purposes for like you know doing the test batches and like the reserves and whatnot. Right. Um, an issue that a lot of people have with uh, starting a new business, it's kind of one of two things. They either buy too much space or they don't buy enough. And it's hard to find a good balance with that to where you won't need to buy more space to grow or you won't have to downsize because you bought too much. And Exactly. And the, the, the usable part of our space right now, because it was a law office, that was already you know finished. So mm-hmm. the back part is unfinished. So it kind of allows us to put a footprint where we're going to need to put it so we're not going to have to, like, you know, tear anything out to make a bigger room. It's just basically one big open space in the back. So that's a big help for us, too, so we can kind of plot out how we're going to, you know, move things going forward. Um, so I know one of the big difficulties a lot of people get into is uh, their labeling on their bottles. Did you guys have any nightmare experiences with that by any chance? I haven't had any like so-called nightmare experiences like some of the people I've heard about. Um, I, I've had one rejected, <laughs> um, the caramel story. Um, basically, we, we caramelized some uh, some brown sugar and some cane sugar and some honey. We made basically a caramel without any you know dairy products, and we got that nice caramel flavor to it. Everything we loved it. Okay, submitted to TTV. We got everything ready to go. Um, submitted the label, and they kept coming back, well, you can't call it caramel. You can't call it caramel because you're not putting caramel in there. And I'm like, but I made caramel because I didn't put any dairy in there. And back and forth, going back and forth, they sent me back to formulas, formulas sent me back to labels, and they're like, well, they shouldn't have approved this with the name caramel. So they sent me back to formulas. and like, yeah, we shouldn't have approved it with caramel. If you can name it something else. I said, but this is the formula. Well, you can't call it caramel. <laughs> so finally, after the fifth try, they just gave me a big old rejection thing on the uh, uh, label submittal. So I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to call it. But uh, for those that know, once it does finally come out, it's actually caramel. <laughs> that just... it, it just depends on who you're talking to. There, there, there sometimes doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to it. Um, and I understand they, they, they want to keep everybody safe and make sure we're using safe, you know, ingredients and everything like that. But so just some of the stuff is just like, wow, this is really happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, when I was talking to Billy, he kind of said the same thing. It's kind of who you're talking to and it never seems to make sense on what doesn't get approved or sometimes what does get approved for that matter. Right. Some of the ingredients are kind of crazy, too. Like, I know the homebrew circuit right now is going crazy for, like, butterfly pea blossom. Mm-hmm. And I made a butterfly pea blossom, and I, I submitted the formula. And uh, next thing I know, they're asking me for a graph certification and this and that. So I'm like, okay, I'll just go over to one of my forums. I'm sure somebody's got one of these. And all of a sudden, they're, they're paging a, a, another brewer that had done this before, and apparently he had gotten his approved. And I, I can't remember the name of this, the gentleman now, but he apparently had gotten it approved, and he made it, he bottled it, he labeled it, and was selling it, and he got a phone call from uh, the TPB stating that they made a mistake, they should have approved it, um, the butterfly pea, butterfly pea blossom flower is not approved for the use in the manufacture of alcoholic beverages. Um, they did allow him to sell what he had, but he had to surrender his recipe. <laughs> And he can't ever make it again. So now there's a, this is the last time I visited that 
Um, he was in the process of gathering up information to approach the FDA um, with, with proof that this is a safe substance for you know consumption. It's been used in Asian cooking for you know eons. And there's actually a ramen noodle house in Los Angeles, California, that they told me about that is using the butterfly pea blossom to color their water blue before they add the um, the food or the the, the the noodles and the meat and everything to the ramen broth. So. The reasoning they gave, the FDA gave me that you can't use it in manufacture of alcoholic beverages is because once the flower touches the water, it produces a little bit of ethanol. Yet the same flower is approved for use in teas, it's approved for use in foods, you can color water with it for eating soups, but we're not allowed to use it to make a really cool color in our meat. Well, I mean, when you're making mead, you're kind of producing al- or ethanol too, though, I mean... In a sense, right? you're making alcohol, so <laughs> that that doesn't make any sense to me at all. That's <laughs> no, not at all. So we'll just have to wait and see, um, you know, what happens with that little fight if, if it ever gets approved for use in the manufacture of alcoholic beverages. Um, we shall see. I mean, maybe someday we'll all have like a, a pretty blue, purpley meat, you know, and then it'll be like, you know, thanks to, you know, someone finally getting through to them that yeah, we can use this. Well, hopefully people continue the good fight on that. I, I hope it goes through. Um, I do too. Experimentation, you know, like, you know, that leads to like, you know, innovations in, in our industry. So, you know, being able to use new and different products from different cultures is an awesome thing. So hopefully we can, we can break down some barriers with that too. Right. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, I was stationed in Japan for three years when I was in the military and uh, there's a lot of things from Japan that I would love to see get approved for us to be able to use here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know here in San Diego, there's a lot of microbreweries and we have a lot of meaderies even out here and the competition is pretty ridiculous on what we have in this area, but for the meaderies out here, I've noticed it's all pretty friendly competition. They all kind of hang out with each other and know each other. Um, I was just wondering what's your competition like over there in Texas and, um, do you feel like it's friendly or more kind of aggressive out there? I, you know, it, it seems like to be a real friendly environment for, like, you know, the meteries out here and everything. We, we attended the Texas uh, Mead Festival in Seguin, Texas, at the end of October, and it was super awesome meeting, like, the other people that have meteries in Texas that are members of the Texas Mead Association. I'm sure they were as curious about us as we were about them. And then to be able to put, you know, a, a face to a name, it was awesome. But everybody's like, you know, it's really, really... Like, oh, super supportive, you know, hey, we're going to do this festival, we want you We want you there, we want you there, you know, please come back and do this, and, you know, the, the, the open talk with everybody was, was pretty amazing, and to have a group of, you know, meteries, not breweries, but meteries, like, all working together to bring more focus to the craft was quite an amazing thing to see, and everybody was working together, everybody's like, oh, if you don't like, you know, real sweet stuff, you know, you might want to try that one over there, they have a little drier flavor, or, oh, if you like really fruity things, go try, you know, this one over here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the back and forth and, and the, the, the talking with each other was super awesome. I'm looking forward to getting to know my fellow mead makers even better as, you know, we get through the years and whatnot. They've uh, discussed, we're having a face-to-face meeting, I, I believe in January, to discuss like, where we're going to go with, the uh, Texas Meat Festival, there was some talk about possibly doing a few of them because Texas is so big, doing like a couple of them or, or three of them during the course of the year and moving it around from like different parts of the state. So like if you're living in Galveston, 
you're not going to have to like drive up to the Panhandle just to make the Texas Meat Festival. Maybe they'll be one a little closer to you in three or four months. Well, it sounds like you guys in Texas are starting to build a really good community, which is good. And uh, I know Meat is starting to make a huge comeback, so hopefully you guys will be able to continue the networking that you're doing. That's the big hope, man. The social media has been really great. Our customers are super awesome in promoting us as well. Uh, we have the Texas Meat Festival here, or the Texas Renaissance Festival. So we've had customers like coming up here, and they, apparently here you can camp. I've not experienced this here in Texas yet, but apparently you can camp at the Meat or the uh, Renaissance Festival. So we've had customers coming and picking up bottles and taking it up, and they've been having like little tastings and whatnot. And that in turn has been bringing people down here and. You know, you know, wanting to try stuff. We've got people ordering online, you know, wanting to try different things because they've had it somewhere else. So that's a really great thing. Um, also, it also helps to be, like, in some of the other brew pubs, like in North Houston. I mean, we're, we're way down on the coast, so it, it's a little bit of a haul for people to come here from the city. Mm -hmm. But where you get the good honey, too, out in the country. Right. Um, but, yeah, we've had a lot of people coming from, like, North Houston, you know, just to try us out. Um so that was a huge thing. I had a couple people from, like, Austin drive out here, like, three and a half hours just to try our meat, which is like, wow, you literally just drove three and a half hours to come out here and try stuff and bring bottles back. They're like, yeah. I'm like, wow, I'm honored, you know? So that was pretty cool. So the word's getting out there, and, you know, hopefully we'll be able to compete with the big kids um, and hopefully make a showing, like I said, you know, with some of the other professional competitions coming up, too. All right, well, uh, I think that I've taken up quite a bit of your time. I think I'm just going to ask you one last question before I let you go, which is um, sure. what would you consider the best advice that you can give to a person that's just wanting to start making meat at home, someone that's just barely getting into it? I would say, you know, go out and, and, and look around. Go to the AHA website, American Homebrewers Association website, and look for a homebrew club that's close to you. That's going to be a wealth of knowledge for anybody that's wanting to get into any type of brewing. Um, Like-minded individuals, you know, usually they'll be super helpful in helping you kind of find your way. You'll find some mead makers. You might even find that you might, you know, you like beer too. Who knows? Um, but definitely get involved with your your local homebrew clubs. If you can't find any near you, go to your local homebrew shop because they'll have knowledge of like who's doing what and and who does mead and who does this, and they could possibly introduce you to some people because I know the homebrew shops that are were here and the ones that were back home in, in Arizona, they always had brew-ins and whatnot. So even if you weren't a member of a club, you were interested, you go out and talk to people that were actually doing the brewing, doing, you know, the meads, and usually you can have some tastings as well. And if you're not sure about that, you know, you can always go to, just go to a meeting and, and go meet people because people bring their stuff to sample and, you know, if you're interested, you might make some new friends, you know, and, and, and just get your hobby going a little bit better, a little bit faster. You know, I, I definitely have to agree with you in that regard. Uh, with me, I'm in San Diego, so I'm blessed with one of the best places to be for craft brewing ever. <laughs> and oh, yeah. I know. I was there for the uh, NHC in 2011, and we hit quite a bit of them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, the amount of people that I've met out here that have helped me out have been amazing. Uh, I mean, I go into different breweries all the time. I go into meaderies all the time out here. And uh, the homebrew stores I go into, they've all been really helpful. Um, like, uh, when I was making my chai mead that I made, uh, the homebrewer store suggested the yeast that I used for it and worked out mm -hmm. great. And um, just in general, working to be able to network yourself 
to learn more about the process is a huge part of helping you, in my opinion. Now, oh, absolutely. And, you know, it exposes you to, like, different honeys, too. I mean, I know here we do, like, uh, the homebrew clubs. They'll do, like, a, a, like a bulk buy from, like, some of the honey suppliers here. So you might... You get involved with your homebrew club, and they, if they're going to bulk buy honey, I mean, you might be able to score some honey for like two bucks a pound, which is like seriously super cheap, and it's from a beekeeper. Mm-hmm. So that's another good reason to get involved with like your clubs too. Um, I've actually uh, bought honey from Chris over at Golden Coast in Oceanside, and it was a raw, unfiltered clover honey, and he was selling it for like five bucks a pound, I think it was. Wow. Which, it's because he had so much on stock, and it mm-hmm. was just such a great deal, and I ended up using that in some of my Huckleberry Boche, and it came out amazing. So, oh, very good. I like to tell people, too, it's like, yeah, for real honey, you're going to pay a little bit more. It's not like going to Walmart, and yeah, please don't buy Save More Honey or anything like that. Right. You know, you're going to get what you pay for. Pay for the good honey. Mm-hmm. It starts out with good ingredients. That, you know, if you got good stuff to start with, you're going to get good stuff to end up with. Right. And I, I definitely agree with you in that regard. Um, well, I think that I've taken up plenty of your time. I think I'll let you get back to doing what you're doing at your brewery or uh, your micro or uh, sorry, meadery. And I don't know <laughs> what just happened there. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think I'll let you get back to work and uh, have a good night. Uh, this has been Viking Fuel Scott.